Hi, everybody. I'm Arlen Walker, and I am live from Pelham's Wasteland. And today, so I have even more call-ins from Jason Connerly, which is great. Um, but I'm going to instead talk about the, the family game that I've been running today. And then tomorrow, I'm going to do a response to Jason's other call-ins. And um, hopefully, that will uh, cover everything that I have sort of on the plate right now. So... Um, yeah, uh, a sort of follow-up about the family RPGs, what has worked, what hasn't, all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, let us get into it. All right, so, um, for the family game, we have played a total of four different games. Um, one of them we just sort of barely got into, um, but we've played a couple sessions of each of the other ones. And those games are The Hero's Journey, 2nd Edition, um, Hero Quest, the generic version of Hero Quest Glorantha by Robin Laws, not the not the board game hero quest the rpg hero quest um the fifth edition star wars hack which we played as uh clone commandos for a little while and finally the uh beyond the wall which is a, another RPG that is uh, pretty cool, and that's what we've been playing recently. And um, I think that has, I think that and Hero Quest have worked the best of the the games we've played. So to start with, the Hero's Journey Second Edition. Hero's Journey is a great game. It um, is complicated enough that I think it would require players who are more familiar with RPGs and are better able to keep track of like all of their abilities, all of their um, stuff. There's a fair bit of, you get a fair bit of stuff for your, um, I think it's called lineage and archetype and profession. Profession is what you did before um, you became an adventurer. Lineage is your character's, it's basically race, but it, it also refers to sort of your cultural upbringing as well. And then archetype is basically your class. Um, you get a fair few things to keep track of from all of those, which is not um, a bad thing. And I think it creates, it does goes a really long way towards creating the particular flavor that the hero's journey second edition is trying to create. Um, it's just that it becomes a little complicated for new players who aren't used to all that, who, you know, are going to ask like, well, can I see what's going on? And I have to say, well, can you see in the dark? And they say, oh, I don't know can I see in the dark? And I, I have to be the one who remembers, oh yes, elves can see in starlight or moonlight as if it's bright light. And therefore you can see what's going on, that sort of thing. Um, and then in general, that makes it harder. I think one of the things that I really like, and I, I've like about, um, more OSR style play is that it is often from the GM side, it is uh, problem focused rather than solution focused, right? It's about creating obstacles for the players and then letting them figure out how to deal with it. Um, the problem with that with players who don't know what they can do is that it's much harder for them to come up with solutions to these problems if they don't know like what they can actually do 
right? What they can uh, get away with, what they can try, all of that sort of stuff as characters. And in this system, a fair bit of that is um, explicit, right? That like burglars who are basically thieves have certain things that they can do. And if you're not a burglar, you can't really try to do those things, at least not in the same way. Um, not the the sort of special things, I think. So this sort of goes back to one of my buddies, uh, Kevin Madison, talks about stealth in games. And one of the things that he really likes to do is the idea that um, thief skill stealth is basically like supernatural stealth. It doesn't give the enemy a chance to spot you versus if you don't have thief skills, then they have a chance to spot you. But it's not an automatic failure if you don't have thief skills or if you fail your thief skill. And that that means that you're not just fishing for failures with regard to thief skills, which I like a lot. I, I really like that style of play. Um, and I think it's a good, good addition to the kind of best, best practices rules essentially for running old school RPGs or even new school RPGs. Um, so yeah, that is, um, the Hero's Journey 2nd Edition, it's a great game. It's really evocative of the kind of setting and world and tone that it wants to create. Um, very, very cool. Would be a lot of fun to play it. Not a great fit for this group. There's just sort of too much going on, too much of all that sort of stuff. So what we did was we transitioned over to Hero Quest. And we said, okay, we're going to play the same characters in the same world. And we're going to have um, each of the sort of elements of the character from the Hero's Journey 2nd Edition be one of the tags for Hero Quest. So, for instance, a character who is a half-elf bard is going to have one tag half-elven and one tag bard. And both of those are going to have the Hero Quest rating. And for those of you who don't know, the way Hero Quest works is that it's rolling 1d20, trying to roll equal to or under the rating of the tag that you're using to try to solve X problem. And then the opponent rolls against their tag, their difficulty, and you compare success levels. Um, part of the idea of that is it's very free form. You can play the ideas as long as you like the way that the math works out, you can play in whatever world you like, you can play with whatever sort of tags you like. It's very much, open to the uh, the players and the GM to figure out what stuff is going to be like. And HeroQuest worked pretty well for the group um, because they didn't have to keep track of nearly as much stuff. They could just sort of say, well, I think I'm an elf, so I think I should be able to do this so I can roll this thing. Or more generally, they could roll. Um, they had a couple of tags that weren't related to that. So like my, my little sister had um, Diplomat and uh, Warhammer, I think, was one of her tags. And so she could, she was really good at like either talking to people or at, you know, smashing goblin skulls in and all that sort of stuff. So that was Hero Quest, uh, I think, worked really well. Um, the problem with Hero Quest was something more on my end. Um, I had not really uh, developed a world or anything like that. I was very much kind of making it up as I go along, which I think 
HeroQuest encourages in a lot of ways. Because one of the ideas behind HeroQuest is that it's very easy to um, create a sort of natural back and forth flow of success and failure. That rather than certain other RPGs where it feels like you get into must-win scenarios, HeroQuest is designed specifically to have heroes fail. Not fail so that the adventure ends, but fail in the sense of some of what they try to do, some of what they try to get isn't actually what they succeed at. Um, and therefore, you have um, meaning more of a sort of sine wave of success and failure. It's designed to emulate fiction and um, other types of, you know, like written fiction or like uh, movies and video games and that sort of stuff where the idea is that sometimes your character runs up against something tougher than them and they fail and they have to sort of go a different path than they first expected. And that's where the sort of spontaneity and randomness comes in. Um, it would have helped if I had done a lot more um, world building ahead of time or had just used a, a real pre-existing world to play in. Um, I said real. Uh, that's not what I meant. I meant a pre-existing. We ended up playing in a sort of fantasy Tolkien pastiche, which was fun. But it meant that because I had, because I was sort of flying by the seat of my pants, I felt like I didn't have a good grasp on um, necessarily how to kind of bring it all together. I felt underprepared for it. And um, I think I could have prepared more for it, but it felt like it was sort of hard to um, create that flow that I wanted, that back and forth success and failure flow. It felt like it was much easier to just give them successes all the time and not really introduce failures. Um, and that that wasn't really taking advantage of hero quest. Um, and that's on me. And it, it became a little, it, mechanically, it's not very interesting. Um, there's not a lot of mechanical weight to much of anything in the system. And that, for somebody who likes his mechanics, was a little bit, uh, not necessarily frustrating, but it, it made it feel to me like this would be a better system for me for sort of shorter arcs or one-shots than for like a long campaign or something like that. Um, just because I think it wouldn't have been as bad if I had done more prep, had more of kind of the, the creation side under my belt. But, you know, it without without that kind of like detailed world to explore, I felt like it was um, mechanically not super, not as interesting. And that the world we were exploring was just sort of a generic pastiche and it wasn't wasn't that fun um so i eventually said let's try something else and i'm gonna pause the recording here and get back into it with the star wars 5e hack so after playing hero quest for a while um i sort of decided that we would try something else and what we decided or what i decided to try was the fifth edition star wars hack playing as uh, Republic Commandos. Basically, uh, I don't know how many of you played the game Star Wars Republic Commando, but it's it was basically that. It was, you know, four elite troopers going in and, you know, kicking ass and taking names and all that sort of stuff with 
the the bad guys during the the Clone Wars. Um, and it was all right. Uh, I think that. Well, there were a couple of issues. The big one is that the the players weren't really up for creating their own characters. So I made their own characters, but that meant that they didn't really always understand what kind of like their special abilities were and what they could do and all of that sort of stuff, which is despite having all of that material on the character sheet, they didn't necessarily have that sort of like intuitive, Oh, I can do this, this turn and this, the next turn and this, the next turn. Um, that was kind of an issue to go back to, kind of the the problem solving element is I was able to tell them, oh, this is something that you could do in this situation. But they as players weren't really able to uh, come up with what they would do. And a lot of the powers were for combat. And so combat combat was fun in that it was a a kind of uh you know a a a large element of the game and everybody was excited when they rolled a natural 20 and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, there was sort of an issue I felt, which was we didn't have a lot to do other than combat. Um, and part of that, a big part of that is my own, not kind of, uh, not, designing or having enough practice designing adventures for that system, um, not really knowing kind of what to do other than combat sometimes, but especially for a sort of military campaign, it makes sense that there's going to be a fair bit of combat in the system. And um, the combat was fun, but yeah, it was just kind of, I don't know. I felt like it would have worked the game would have worked better if we had had a better balance of combat and non-combat, especially if the players had known their characters better um, because they didn't, didn't really know their characters mechanically that well. So we switched from, we did... I think three sessions, one kind of session zero and two gameplay sessions of that. And then we switched over to beyond the wall. And now we've uh, done one kind of session zero character creation session of beyond the wall and one um, gameplay session of beyond the wall, but it's worked quite well. So for those of you who don't know, beyond the wall is a, sort of simplified OSR game. It uses the standard core six stats. Um, most there's basically three types of rules. There's saving throw rules where you roll high over your saving throw. There's attack rules where you're trying to roll high equal to or above a target's uh, armor class. And then there's attribute rules, which is trying to roll low, equal to or under your character's specific attribute. So like if you're trying to convince somebody, it's roll charisma underneath your charisma attribute. Or if you're trying to break down a door, it's roll strength under your strength attribute. Um, 
with some modifiers to that based on the difficulty of something. So the book says you can do like a, a plus or minus two to plus or minus five. And then you can also, there are skills. Skills are fairly broad. Um, but the, the skill adds to your effective attribute so that when you roll under, you're rolling against a higher number and that sort of thing. Um, one of the big things that Beyond the Wall did is that Beyond the Wall has these interesting, um, they call them playbooks, sort of like uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games, but they're actually basically just a set of random tables that are designed to provide a, uh, a mutual backstory for the characters and the, the town that they grew up in. One of the assumptions is that all of the PCs will be, um, you know, fairly young villagers who have lived in this one village all their lives are about to go on their sort of first real adventure at the beginning of the first session. And so they have these playbooks that are a collection of random tables that are something like, you know, what did you, you know, who were your parents in the village? And it's, you know, roll 1d8 and it'll say, give you uh, specific bonuses for what your parents did and that sort of thing. And then it'll say, like, how did you distinguish yourself as a child? And then it has things that are more specific to the particular um, character that you're going to be playing. So, like, the witch's apprentice is the one my little sister was playing. And she had stuff about um, what was the witch like and stuff like that on her random tables. And one of the advantages of this was that it didn't involve any... Um, decision-making on the part of the players. They basically didn't have to decide anything about their uh, character's mechanics. They got it all from random rolling, which I think was a, a plus, especially for them, For because despite having played a fair bit of RPGs now, um, they're just really not of that kind of... Uh, mindset that kind of involvement that would make them um more interested in playing um a more mechanical game more interested in that kind of mechanical involvement with the game that's just not really what they're they're there for on game night um so yeah, that was a cool thing. It also, one of the cool things is that there's a um, collective world building element too. So at certain stages in the character creation, it'll say like add a, a building to the town or a location to the map or add an NPC to the world. And so I would ask them, okay, so what's the, the location on the map? that is important to this step or what's the NPC that's important to this step and in doing so you fill out a world together, which is pretty cool. Um, and then finally the actual, from the perspective of running the game, one of the things is it's really easy to run because in addition to um, the character playbooks, they have, I think they call them workbooks, scenario workbooks, but it's basically the same thing. It's a collection of random tables that you can roll on to say like, oh, here's the event that's going on in the background. Here's what the heroes need to do to solve it and go. 
and that's really cool. It, um, I think, works really well for the the sort of design of Beyond the Wall is built around the idea of no prep, pick up and play for four hours. Have essentially a one shot that you play for four hours that you um, didn't, the GM didn't have to prep it or anything, didn't have to design anything. You just sit down and play the game. And it works really well for that. Um, it also has some stuff that is designed for playing for longer term. There's a, another book called Further Afield, Beyond the Wall, Further Afield, that's designed for that kind of uh, longer term play, longer adventures with these same heroes and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, Beyond the Wall is... Uh, it's been really good for the the players and for me to uh, play a uh, a system like that. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I think it's probably beyond the wall is probably going to be what we play for a while. Um, for the foreseeable future, at least, while we get through. They're taking a lot longer with this adventure than a sort of one-shot pace, so I figure we'll let it breathe and have fun messing around with this adventure, and when it ends, we'll see what we want to do, if we want to play more Beyond the Wall or if we want to play something else. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's basically what the family game uh, setup has been like. So, uh, I think that is, means it's time for the outro. All right. So, uh, yeah, that is, um, the episode. That's basically what, uh, we have been playing. Um, I'm going to save my thoughts for a little later on how well, that has aligned with my expectations based on the kind of introducing new people to RPGs episode. Um, I think I'm going to talk about that in a separate episode because I feel like that could very well become its own sort of full conversation. But yeah, um, hope you enjoyed. I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Helms Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.